Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody, and a happy World Environment Day to those of you who are listening live today. I'm so glad to be able to celebrate uh, World Environment Day with all of you in in kind of a COVID way. We're all in different places, but we can all be united um, as we gather to talk about a very important person and organization in a place that's very important in my heart. Our guest today is Corey Long. He's the founder and executive director of the Making a Change Group in Chester, Pennsylvania. And it just so happens that Chester is a community that if you look on the USDA's um, uh, food access research atlas, it comes up as a food desert. And if you look at the US EPA's EJ screening and mapping tool, you will see that Chester is also an environmental justice community. And we're going to be talking with Corey today about the many things that he and his organization and his team are doing um, to address the environmental justice issues and and how that impacts uh, the, the wonderful people of the city of Chester. So welcome to Go Green Radio, Corey. I am so glad to have you on the show today. Well, thanks for having me, Jill. It's so good to hear your voice again. You doing well? I am doing well, and I hope you are too. It's been a, a while since we've seen each other, and um, I'm hoping that as soon as it's safe to travel, I get right back out there. We've got a lot of work to do together, and um, I'm, I'm also really excited that my my listeners are going to get to hear a real radio voice today because uh, in in a in a past life, Corey was a, a award-winning DJ, everybody. So get ready to <laughs> get ready to have a, a beautiful audio experience. So Corey, I'd like to begin at the beginning by having you share your story with our listeners. You graduated from Chester High School, left to sure. pursue your career, and then you came back. So talk to us about your hometown and what brought you back. Sure, sure. So Chester, PA, Chester, Pennsylvania is a, a, is a town of approximately 35,000 people. Um, it's a great, it's a great city, small city, right on the, right on the outside of Philadelphia. And I uh, grew up here in my hometown and, and left in a sense of just went right up the road to Philadelphia and started, started radio and started DJing for some of the, the, the local entertainment and branched out a little, little broader and, and began to uh, DJ for some of the celebrities, some of the, you know, a rapper, actress Eve, who was also from Philly, but she had made sort of national recognition at the time. This is going back into the to the mid to late 90s. Uh, and then worked with some of the other uh, artists in, in out of New York City and, and around the country. Um, but what brought me back home was more so, one, my faith, uh, wanting to be more closer to my daughter and to my family. And that's what really birthed my passion for the community, just kind of you know, maturing and seeing the, the ills in the community and wanting to do more uh, in the community and also be, be closer to my daughter is what, what brought me back. And that was around 2003. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it, was, it, was, it was interestingly a, a experience, to say the least, through my uh, period of, a, you know, I had about a 10-year span on, on with radio and, and throughout the music industry, uh, a lot throughout the hip-hop and R&B world. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you you put a lot of that on hold to come back home. And what I love about your story, Corey, and everybody who knows you knows this is part of your DNA, but you got 
busy right away serving your community. And I want to talk to you about, you know, what that looks like, because I think that the blueprint that you've created with making a change group, um, which by the way, you all can find at www.makingachangegroup.org. The blueprint is pretty incredible. So, you know, as I mentioned in the opener, Chester is considered a food desert. And for a lot of people, that term is very academic. Uh, they know what yeah. it, that it means, you know, a lack of access to food choices compared to other communities. And they know that it can be rural or it can be an urban community, but they don't know what it's like to live in a food desert. Can you help us yeah. get some insights that will help us understand? Sure. So when I came came back to the city of Chester in 2003, we didn't have any uh, food market at all. You know, uh, uh, some short time after we, we wound up having a small, smaller version of a food market open, but, uh, there's a huge lack of access to fresh, you know, fresh foods and quality foods. And so we have a lot of families, a lot of youth, you know, youth and their families, uh, shopping at corner stores. Uh, we have a lot of dollar stores. So the food quality is, is very poor. Uh, there, there's very little, uh, fresh, fresh food, you know, fruits and vegetables. And, you know, the effects of that you, you see with uh, the, the, the childhood obesity, you see with the uh, 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 diabetes and cancer and these different things. And even, you know, during this pandemic, you, you see why, uh, how the African-American community has been hit so hard uh, with, with coronavirus because of uh, the, the poor eating habits and, and just the lack of quality foods in inner cities like the city of Chester. So that's one practical way that it, that it, you know, primarily hit home for us here in Chester. Well, it's so true. And, you know, I remember the first time I visited Chester, I think it was back in 2015, somewhere around there. And, and I didn't know what it meant to not have a supermarket nearby. And, and even in some of the other communities that my organization works with, you know, I, I work with a lot of high school students who say, you know, I have to get food from a corner market. Sometimes that's a liquor store and it's always processed food, always packaged food. And um, so, of course, that's not going to lead to good health. You know, the other issue that that I mentioned in the opening is that when you look at the EPA's environmental justice screening map, you know, you can see that Chester is highly exposed to many health risks like particulate matter 2.5, ozone, and its proximity to Superfund sites. And and that's what a map tells us. But can you help us understand what it's like for the residents of Chester to live with those exposures to environmental pollutants? Well, I'm certainly no expert on it, but I, I do know we see a lot of children with asthma in the youth programs that we work with, you know, at an alarming rate. Uh, and there's other things that I believe are tied into the, the uh, pollution in the environment, uh, such as physical and mental, you know, illness. Uh, but those are, the, those are the primary ways that I see it playing out with the kids that we serve. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I know that, um, you know, there's also a lot of folks that, um, you know, really don't understand that just by virtue of your zip code, um, you know, th- these kinds of exposures to environmental pollutants can make you far more likely to have heart disease and, you know, a, a whole host of, of human health problems that some zip codes are completely removed from. So, um you know, it's just, it, there's so many compounding issues that Chester is dealing with. I want to talk about 
you know, your how you started working on the youth development piece of making a change group way back in 2004. And that was actually about 10 years before you started your nonprofit organization, Making a Change Group. Talk to us about what you did during those early years, Corey. So for me, it was birthed out of a, a, a passion to uh, to see young people just have a, a better opportunity in in life. You know, I realized there was a lack of, of male role models, particularly you know African American male role models in our in our community, and uh, decided that 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 I can do something about it. And you know, I started a, a grassroots mentoring program. I started at my church actually, mm-hmm. and we just mentor about twelve to fifteen students every week, and we grew from there to working with local schools and I would go around to the local schools. And again, you know, I didn't have any youth development uh, background at the time, but I was a DJ and I was, you know, mm-hmm. sort, sort of cool back then, you know, you know, we're going back in years. So. <laughs> we're, the, we're about the same yeah, I was, age, I was, so I get you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was, I was, I was kind of still cool back then, you know, and so I, had this, I had this, I had this DJ voice that you can hear coming out a little bit now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, I, I would, I, I would take my DJ, you know, skills and, my knowledge of music and just use that as an attraction for, for kids that, you know, have, have so many issues such as, you know, violence. I mean, so many, so many of the children that we work with, uh, have, have lost, uh, siblings or, or fathers to, to gun violence here in the city of Chester. And, you know, I said, I, I just have to do something about it. And I started, you know, just being a mentor, just being a role model saying, Hey, if you come on in and, uh, let's, let's work on this music project together. And, you know, from there, we began to build the team making a change program. So it was music and mentoring initially. And as, you know, the program developed, I grew and began to have some formal youth development training. I came across this, uh, this study out of uh, the Search Institute of Minnesota uh, called the 40 Developmental Assets. Mm-hmm. And I realized that out of these 40 assets that the study shows out of 200 kids that were surveyed, the more of these developmental assets that a child has, the more likely they are to, to succeed in life. And so I said, hey, out of 40, I know there's 10 within our program that we can, we can develop and we can incorporate them into our weekly talks, our weekly mentoring sessions. And so they were developing a sense of purpose, building self-esteem, placing high value in moral, social, and academic excellence, developing hope and optimism about the future, resisting negative peer pressure, planning and decision-making, having a supportive role model, peaceful conflict resolution, and, and leading through servanthood, becoming a servant leader. And so those are the 10 core values that we instill throughout our youth development programs. I love that so much, Corey. And, and that same study that you mentioned um, has become a cornerstone for so many programs across America. Yes. And I think it's so cool to see the many ways that it can be implemented you know, uh, for a variety of communities under a variety of circumstances by a variety of organizations. Sometimes it's schools, sometimes it's city programs, sometimes it's nonprofits. But I love, I love that you have that research-based, you know, foundation for your program. We've got to take a quick break, but when we come back, we have so much more to talk about with Corey Long. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News. 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 News
Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. If you're listening live, happy World Environment Day. Um, And if you're listening to us on an archived broadcast of this show, welcome back. If you've just joined us, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Corey Long, and he is the founder and executive director of an organization called Making a Change Group. You can find them at makingachangegroup.org. They're home-based right outside of Philadelphia in Chester, Pennsylvania, and uh, Corey, before the break, we were talking about the early years of your youth development program in Chester. Um, I want to talk to you about your work as the anti-violence coordinator for the city of Chester. Um, Talk to us about how you came to be appointed to that position and about the work that you did in that role. Sure, sure. So around 2009, I was was approached by uh, then-Mayor Wendell Butler and asked to to take on his anti-violence initiatives. Uh, I had a strong rapport with the community uh, because I had been, you know, working in, in, in recreation and, and community-wide organizing and events. And there was such a, a rash of, of, of shootings at the time, you know, the mayor then decided he, he, he wanted to do more and focus on, on the violence prevention initiative. And uh, I was able to take that over. And actually, I spent some time in your neck of the woods in my research <laughs> with with, 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 you know, violence prevention and, and uh-huh. you know, flew out to the city of, of Los Angeles and yep. uh, met with the administration there and, and, you know, learned about a program called GRID, which is Gang Reduction and Youth Development, and uh-huh. did some study in there and just looked to see ways that I can bring back the, the recreation and youth development more of a, as a preventative measure to violence. And uh, 
you know, did a lot, of, did, did some work there for the next few years. And I'm actually sort of circling back and doing some, uh, doing some work with anti-violence again now. Great. Great. Oh, and, and, and I just love the idea of sharing best practices across, you know, all the different communities and the resources that each has. There's no sense in reinventing the wheel when, you know, there are so many good lessons to be shared. And I'm sure that they learned from you as well and will continue to. That's um, that's awesome. So you launch your nonprofit, Making a Change Group, in yep. 2014. Um, and yep. we're going to dive into the details of your work in a little bit. But in broad terms, tell us about the three components of your work. You've got youth development, you've got connected families, and you've got connected communities. Give us kind of the overview of those three pillars of your program. Sure, sure. So in essence, uh, it only made sense for me with my passion and, and, and work with young, with young people through our Team Act uh, Youth Development Program. And then as my work as the anti-violence coordinator and a community organizer, bringing the two together uh, was important. And also working with, with, with the youth as a, uh, you know, in, in, our, in our mentoring programs, I realized that because of, you know, the disparities and, and you know, the, the, so many issues within the, in the community, we could not just work with the young people and not address their families on a whole. So we began to set up a program called Connected Families and just giving the families a, a, a safe space where they can connect with us more in a social setting. And, you know, we would have, have Thanksgiving dinner together. We would have Christmas gatherings together, uh, back-to-school events together. And then we would invite them to uh, sort of a strengthening families uh, series of workshops for financial literacy, um, uh, uh, healthy living, healthy eating workshops and things. And so that's what the, the portion of our Connected Families program uh, began to develop into. But in essence, sort of a life coach and mentoring uh, initiative for the families of the youth that we serve. And the Connected Communities, uh, it more so dealt with connecting the, the local resources uh, pulling them together so that the family have access to greater resources than than ours in our small nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that's phenomenal, and I, because I know that COVID nineteen has placed a tremendous amount of pressure on Chester, I wanted to give you a chance to talk about your organization's response to COVID nineteen and talk to us about yeah. what you've been doing to help your community through this really tough time. Sure. So. It, we really tapped into our Connected Communities uh, Initiative, you know, during COVID-19. And we, we partnered with several uh, local restaurants, uh, uh, occasionally yours, which is in Swarthmore, Pennsylvania, uh, Bittersweet Kitchen, which is in Media, Pennsylvania. And we t- together we were able to provide over 1,200, to date, over 1,200 hot meals to our families, in addition to, to uh, at least four local food pantries that had access to fresh produce and, and you know, fresh fruits and vegetables. And, and deliver those to the households. Um, so connected families and connected communities became uh, very essential during COVID-19 because not only did we have families that already didn't have access to these, you know, to, to quality foods, but also, you know, they didn't have transportation. For those who didn't have, you know, vehicles and were relying on public transportation, the bus schedules and, and public transportation schedules were altered and some of them were laid off and just didn't have, you know, money until the stimulus checks and, and benefits kicked in and things. And so we became that hub in, in between. And we wound up uh, providing a service to deliver 
fresh fruits and vegetables and meals, hot meals for these families during our COVID-19 period. Well, and, and you kind of touched on this, but for communities that are, are similar to Chester in terms of, you know, being an environmental justice community, being a food desert, you know, you had a structure and an organization that it was already in place before a crisis like this hit. So how did the structure of your organization and some of the partnership, partnerships that you had created over the years help you respond to a crisis like a pandemic? I, I just, I think your model is is hopefully something that others will want to replicate. Sure. Well, you know, just to give you a little backdrop of our organization, we, we're, we're very small. We have a team of, of six, six part-time staff mm-hmm. and one volunteer that, that, that works with us. And, uh, and, and half of them work virtually. And so we already had a virtual administrative system going and, uh, I've been partnering and working with individuals throughout the community for close to 15 years. And I'm really big on relationship, Jill. You, you know that mm-hmm. from, from yes, just when, when you come to town. You know, I'm yep. really big on, on, on relationship. And I believe in on, on you know, ho- holding those relationships, carrying, you know, carrying those relationships. And uh, when the time hit, when, when COVID-19 hit, when the time came for us to tap into those, you know, resources, the relationships were already there. And so I would just say to anybody out there listening to always continue to build your network and build relationships with folks, even if their mission or if, if, if they don't necessarily, uh, uh, you know, you know, focus on the same things that you focus on. You never know when there'll become a time when, when the two of you can come together to do the greater good. Mm-hmm. Well said. And, and that is so true. I mean, I, I've watched you work a room um, in the most authentic, loving, genuine way. I mean, um, you know, I, I just, I love being around you. And I think that a lot of people feel the same way. And I think that, you know, if we could have a, a, a Corey Long in every community, the whole nation would be better <laughs> off. But um, but I think what you said is so, so kind, true. Part, well, <laughs> you're, I mean, you're a special person. But as we mentioned earlier in the show, you know, Chester is considered a food desert by USDA criteria. It's very objective. Um, So what does your organization have to do to access food for your residents, especially under these kinds of circumstances? We partner with the with local food pantries or, or, you know, or individuals that that have access to those uh, fresh fruits and vegetables. That's very important to us. Um, we, we find out who has it in a fresh produce and able to get it, get it to the community on a, on a consistent basis. And we hire delivery drivers to, to take it to our family's doorsteps. Uh-huh. That was something that I saw on your website because I've been watching, you know, your updates and on your Facebook and, and what have you. And, um, you know, the way that you were delivering and, and, you know, the whole transportation aspect of what you've done um, is yeah. pretty remarkable. So I think how can our thing, listen- Jill, I think I- Yeah, go ahead. Go right ahead. I'm sorry, just one other thing I, w- I wanted to add, uh, because this is important, too. On our Facebook page, we started a live stream once COVID-19 um, hit. And we, we do the live stream daily now, Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. It's only for one hour. That's the only segment that we do. And, you know, we... we, we we just thought it was was important to be proactive, to give a, a to have a platform where our families and community 
can communicate with us and learn of what they have access to. Mm. And so that's been a huge part of us getting the, uh, the access to the families is through our daily communication. And so not only are we able to sort of promote and, and tell the families what we have access to, but we're able to organize live on air in real time and bring some of the local leaders down together to talk about uh, issues, sort of uh, COVID-19 updates and, and um, you know, n- new, new testing sites and things like that that they normally wouldn't have access to. Uh, and it's very important for places like Chester because we do get swallowed up by the larger cities in the surrounding areas, and we don't yeah. necessarily have a communication hub or a news channel. So I just wanted to put that out there. that We do have a, a live stream Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. on at the Making a Change Group uh, Facebook page. And and for if you were going to be advising other people in in that might want to create uh, an organization like yours, what would you tell them about the use of social media in the success of an organization like the Making a Change Group? Yeah, well, social media is very important. And for me, you know, which is probably going to be the case with a lot of uh, passionate people with causes, people will identify with the person. And the person may have a huge social media following or somewhat of a following, but their cause or their organization may not have that following. So it's very important to take you as the person and dissolve your following into the organizations or the causes following. That's one thing that I was able to do earlier this year with, you know, with the pandemic is to say, Hey, you know, cause for, for one point, I mean, you know, Corey was known as the, the anti-violence you know, guy, the guy that mm-hmm. works with youth and, and just the community guy. But, it, it, you know, they were, you know, the community was not completely identifying with my nonprofit, which was, had, you know, six years old now. And yeah. so I had to transfer a lot of my personal social media uh, following over to the Making a Change group platform. And so that's, the, that's what I would say to, to any individual that is mm-hmm. looking to, um, sort of start their own cause. It's important for them, for the people to, to buy into the cause, um, not just you as the individual. Both of them are, are important, but it's important for you to bring your cause over to you, to your following as you, you the individual. That's great advice. And we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we have so much more to talk about with Corey and how he addresses environmental justice and the food desert issue in Chester, Pennsylvania. But while we're on a break, open a new tab in your web browser and go to makingachangegroup.org and maybe think about clicking on that donate button because they could use your help and you can do it and you can be part of this solution. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News, opinion, Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. 
Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us and so happy that my friend Corey Long is with us. He's the founder and executive director of Making a Change Group. You can find their website at makingachangegroup.org. And if you scroll down to the bottom of the page, you'll see their social media sites too. There's a lot going on on their Facebook page. So I highly recommend. So Corey, because I'm hoping that you know this broadcast today will help uh, inspire Similar organizations in many other communities that, um, you know, are, are in the same situation in terms of being environmental justice communities, food desert communities. Um, I want to talk about your program in more depth, particularly, um, you know, the three pillars, youth development, connected families and connected communities. And we've talked a little bit about your youth development program. But one of the things that I'd like to know is, you know, what impacts have you seen over the, the years? How do the youth that you work with um, stay engaged with making a change group as they become adults? What have you seen? The biggest impact we've had has been the some of the youth themselves returning back to work in the program or to volunteer with the program. So even now, our youth coordinator, Ricky Taylor, is one that was in the program from 2009 until he graduated in 2011. And that's been the biggest uh, impact that that I've seen. I'll say that I'm the most proud of because Mm -hmm. one of our our 10 developmental assets is for the youth to become servant leaders. And so ultimately, um, that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that the young people become leaders in their own right. It's, it's, it's complete. It's, I mean, it's awesome when they come back and they become leaders with us mm-hmm. and making a change group, but wherever they go for them to become leaders and not just leaders, just, just, you know, you know, leaders in, in, in within their own right, but servant leaders, servant leaders, servant leadership is, is very important to me. Um, and so we're 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 start, we're starting to turn the curve. Actually, we're we're we just brought in a a consultant. His name's Kelvin Red. Uh, that's beginning to he's an expert in, in servant leadership. And so we're we're beginning to uh, incorporate that into our curriculum more. The the concept of of servant leadership. I think that's something that's very countercultural, uh, yeah. especially in this generation. Yeah. Uh, but that that is that is the the most um, 
impacting uh, piece of, of making a change group that I that that just speaks near and dear to my heart the most. I love that. I, I have to ask because this is you know a, a very hurtful, painful time in the aftermath of. George Floyd's murder, and of course, he's only one uh, of so many yep. who have suffered. Um, how has Making a Change Group worked with youth and families in Chester? You've got all these other stressors that are piling on to the city. How has this injustice impacted the city and your organization? Well, tremendously. It's, uh, it's sort of a... Um you know, I call it a triple, triple, triple whammy for us because, uh, in addition to the pandemic, now we're dealing with the the hurt and you know the murder of uh, George Floyd. Uh, on top of that, but Chester has also had 19 homicides this mm-hmm. year alone, which is one more than it's the, the total year, um, total amount of homicides in the year of 2019, mm-hmm. and so we're dealing with an epidemic of gun violence. We're dealing with the pandemic of coronavirus. And now here we're, we're, you know, we have this whole social, you know, social injustice, police brutality issue mm-hmm. that is breaking out, you know, and causing riots and, and protesting throughout the country. And so what we've done as a solution is one made ourselves available as usual to our youth and to our families. But every Wednesday we have a segment called wellness Wednesday on Facebook and we bring in uh, therapists that we've partnered with in the community. One in particular is a group called Chester uh, Community Coalition. And each week we bring in, in, bring in therapists to either uh, g- give us you know, expert advice on, on what to do, how to cope with, uh, with stressors and anxieties. Uh, and we also you know, bring in some folks to just give us some, some practical physical um, exercises and, and, and recreational activities that we can do while practicing social distancing. So uh, we address it through, you know, again, on a weekly basis through our live streams and, and just by calling our, our families directly and saying, hey, you know, if you need someone to talk to to get through this, um, you know, we're here for you. Oh, gosh, that's great. Um, you know, you just, you serve your community in so many ways and on so many levels. I want to also talk about your work with families and learn more about that. There's a statement on your website that reads the following, quote, we also found shame and trauma to be factors that hinder disadvantaged families from connecting to resources that could improve their quality of life, end quote. So, Corey, help us understand this more fully and talk to us about how making a change group works to help bridge the gap between families and those resources. Sure. So the volunteer that I you know, talked about, seven, seven members on our team and the one volunteer mm-hmm. who gives a tremendous amount of time. I mean, she works so hard and, and, and practically full time with us. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, her name's Heidi Karp and she's a, a uh, clinically licensed social worker. She's retired, um, but she she serves as the overseer of connecting the families to resources and and work with others on our team to serve as you know sort of case managers to those families and connecting them to other resources throughout the community. Um, that's where those partnerships come from. That's where connected communities and, and, and developing those partnerships come from is, you know, it's a huge difference when you can just pick up a phone call and say, you know, Hey, uh, Alexia at, at Chester community coalition, we know you have a great 
you know, therapy program for, for youth and families that deal with trauma. Can you come on? Would you be, are you available to talk to this family or, or set up a Zoom? And, you know, Heidi's the one that, that, you know, handles that in that area for us. But, um, again, it, it all comes down to connections and, and networking and, um, and just keeping people in, in, in your network until the time is right for you to partner with them. Mm-hmm. And and how because this is something that you know I I will admit I really don't understand this shame and and trauma that would keep families from connecting to resources. Can you speak more about that and and tell us how your organization is able to help families overcome those issues? Sure. Well, we start by attempting to establish trust. You know, many times when people are um, are going through tough times, they don't want to feel like a charity case. They don't want to feel like, you know, they're looking for handouts. And so there's a, 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 a nice bit of, sh- a good bit of shame that comes along with uh, trying to help families that they know they need help. We know they need help, but there's a barrier there. And a lot of that barrier is, is either pride or shame. You know, and so we, we, we have to first cultivate those relationships. And that's where a lot of our, our social events come in. You know, I talked about the Thanksgiving events and, the, mm-hmm. you know, the Christmas giveaways and backpack giveaways, because we're looking to build these relationships through, through fun times. Mm-hmm. And once the relationships are established, people begin to say, this is someone that, this is a group that, that we can trust. This is a group that's not going to continue to shame or embarrass us you know, any further. It's already mm-hmm. embarrassing that I have, you know, a house full of kids and, and you know, my, my, my paycheck has been cut and I don't, I can't, you know, properly provide for, for all our kids. I'll give me one example. One family that we contacted during COVID-19, uh, the, the parent, we had begun to establish trust and so there was some trust there. Uh, initially, the parent was you know, was reluctant to say, no, we don't need any help. We don't need any, any food. We're fine. About two or three weeks in, we contacted the family again. And they said, oh, yeah, you know, things are looking a little better. Uh, we could use some, some help, but, you know, it, it'll be okay. We can go, we can afford to miss a few meals. And it's like, no, you don't have to miss a few meals, you know. And, yeah. and so we could just see that level of, you know, pride where, you know, a few weeks before, they didn't even want to acknowledge that. You know, they need the help. And even at the time where they were, they trust, even you share that they need the help. Uh, it, it's okay. We, you know, we'll turn it down. You know, you know, let some miles have it. We can do without, mm. you know, that's what I mean when, when I say, you know, building the trust and, and, you know, acknowledging that there's shame in the community that we try to sort of cover our families yeah. from. Yeah. Wow. That's, I mean, that's a, a powerful story. And and I know that part of bringing those resources to families in your connected families pillar or component of the program is enhanced through the connected communities portion of your work. And your website says that this work is aimed at reducing crime and violence, poverty and disparities. Talk to us more about this component of making a change group. Sure, because all of it ties in. So, you know, you know, kids, you know, people, kids don't wake up and just say, when I grow up, I want to be a, a, a murderer. I want to be a, a, a drug dealer. I want to, I want to terrorize my community. No, it comes from systemic disparities that happen 
that that grow at, at, you know as time progresses through a, through, a, mm-hmm. through a child's life. So education disparities and and you know healthcare disparities and and you know income disparities. You see these things happen as as this child you know grows and progresses. And so we understand that although we're small, but we do have connection to resources that we can help aid children in these areas, starting from the education barrier. So, so when, when it comes to education, and, you know, the children that join our programs, we attack it from a social-emotional learning uh, perspective. When it comes to the, the, the poverty and the unemployment and, and the gaps that the parents may, may deal with, uh, we, attack it, we attack it through the connected families and connecting them to resources. And through time, as organizations like ours grow and as we begin to incubate or, or, or uh, help other organizations develop, then we'll begin to see communities like ours have less of these uh, atrocities happening. And so that's, you know, I hope I answered your question in that. Perfectly. Yeah, you sure did. And I, I just, I, I'm so amazed by what you've been able to accomplish and, and what you continue to do to stretch the organization and to, yeah. to you know bring more and more to the community. And that's why I hold making a change group up as such a great blueprint for anyone who wants to create an organization that serves the needs of, you know, a community that finds itself in an environmental justice community or a food desert. That's not the fault of the residents of those communities. And there are are services and resources that can come in with an organization like what you've created, Corey. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have more to talk about. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. Glad that you tuned in. And if you're just joining us, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Corey Long, the founder and executive director of Making a Change Group. You can find them at www.makingachangegroup.org. And 
Corey, we've been talking about all of your programming, youth development, connected families, connected communities. Um, I'd like for you to kind of look in your crystal ball a little bit and give us an insight into your vision for Chester and the surrounding community. And, and in what ways do you think Chester will be different in five, maybe 10 years from now if the Making a Change group is successful in its work? Sure. Well, one thing that uh, I had the honor of doing is, is working with a group, you know, co-founding a group um, called FUSE, which is the Fellowship of Urban and Suburban Engagement. And so through building relationships with FUSE, uh, folks from the suburban area have been partnering more with us in the urban area in the city of Chester and bridging the gap between many of those resources that are needed for the youth and for our families. And so I, in an ideal world, the, the, there won't be such a separation or segregation between urban uh, inner cities or atrocities and, and suburban lifestyle. There'll be, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, liberty and justice and equality for all. And so in, in my crystal ball, uh, this is what I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that we are, you know, somewhat of the glue that begins to, to bring the, the entities together and we start uh, looking for a better, a better tomorrow. I love all that. Of us. that. That's a, that is a vision worth aspiring to. And, and I know you pour so much of your heart and soul into this work. And, and that's a vision that and th- th- it pretty much explains why you have so many people involved in making a change group, willing to volunteer, you know, coming back and, and working with you because that that's meaningful. That's going to make people's lives better. And in the end, what else is there if that's not what we're working towards, you know? Um, Absolutely. But, For our listeners who live in or near food deserts or environmental justice communities, what advice do you have for them if they don't have an organization like making a change group in their area? Mm -hmm. The first thing you want to do is, I would suggest, is is, uh, find out who's doing what that is similar to your cause in your area, you know, if it's maybe, maybe some miles away, maybe, you know, you know, quite a distance away, but find out who's doing what there's somebody that is doing uh, something for, for, for your cause. Likely there's somebody doing something, you know, for your cause in an area that, that you can reach. And if there's not the internet, our cell phones, <laughs> you know, can <laughs> bring us through, bring us, you know, I have, I have people that have worked with me, from Arizona and from uh, from Merle, I have someone now on staff. You know, one of my key staff. You know, people I work with me from, you know, about a hundred miles away in Maryland. And you can always find someone that is aligned with your cause uh, online if they're not directly in your in your area. So the first thing would be to connect with somebody and start to build those alliances uh, and 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 strategize from there. I love that. I love that. And and I know that, you know, the kinds of things that you're doing are not free. And so, you know, I run a nonprofit too. Fundraising is always a challenge. How do you 
you know, what are some of the strategies that you might advise for somebody who's trying to create an organization that can pool resources? Um, you know, that some of the things you've tried that were effective or maybe ineffective. I, I tend to learn more about my mistakes when it comes to fundraising than than my successes. I almost trip over those myself. But what what <laughs> tips would you give um, to, to people who are trying to start an organization like yours from a, a fundraising perspective? I like to try and look at fee for services, you know, keep a keep a fee for service component to our nonprofit work. That way, again, just by building relationships, you learn who actually needs the service that we provide. Mm. And, and this could be a, a stream of funding, you know, for us. Um, because even as nonprofit uh, founders and visionaries, our goal is to really provide a service to the community and, and ultimately work ourselves out of a job. So in, in an ideal world, <laughs> you know, the, the, the causes that we're, we're working on behalf if we were to get our way, that you know we we would you know we would eradicate these issues, right? And exactly. So, um, yep. <laughs> there are others out there that have a similar need for what we bring to the table. So, who are those partners that we need to identify and see if there's a common you know ground where they they may have funding or they may you know be able to provide us with a fee for service? And so we're not so reliant on only grant funding. Mm-hmm. So that's that that's the core thing that that that's what has worked for us. And as we continue to um, be steadfast in that, for us it was our local you know school district and you know and a few others. Um, but as you continue to be steadfast in it, other people will begin to you know be aware of your cause and of your your, your mission, and mm-hmm. they'll begin to be you know attracted by your passion and connect yeah. with you and and. You'll, you'll start gaining others and great friends like Joe Buck. and. I wish we weren't 3,000 miles away because I, I miss oh, no. everybody <laughs> in Chester, but I'll get back on a plane before long as soon as I can. Now, for our listeners, Corey, who have, bless their hearts, no idea what it's like to live in a food desert or what it's like to live in environmental justice community, but they want to be part of the solution. They realize that, you know, it's, it's a problem that needs a lot of support. Um, what yep. advice do you have for them? Sure. You could, uh, you could do your research and, and look up our local uh, legislators in our area and write letters of support uh, for our work. You can write. You can look up the local uh, food pantries or local uh, organizations that that focus on uh, uh, hunger, and see you know see if you could help us expand on our community, even, even nationally. You know what what are some organizations that you believe fit in uh, with our with our mission, and if there, there could be some resources out there, there could be some foundation or grant dollars out there that we may not know of. But they, but you, you may, you know, have contact with them, or you may just come across them. Feel free to send us an email: info at makingachangegroup.org. You know, go to our contact uh, page on our website and just, you know, reach out to us. Say, hey, we just want to want to be a be a friend, be a supporter in any way that we can. And you know, let's have a conversation. I'm always open and always willing to have conversations, or one of our team members are. And let's just start there. And if nothing else, we always appreciate any monetary donations that anyone can give. You know, you can always send your dollars, and it's, it's greatly appreciated. 
Well, and it's it's put to great use, and that's very clear. Um, you know, when when you look at all the different options that we have, um, your organization puts that funding to good use for people that um, you know are are highly engaged with the community and trying to better the community. And I love that. Um, you know, it's not hard for our listeners who live in the United States, and I know that some of you do not, but for those of you who live in the United States, it is all you have to do is Google the EPA's environmental justice screening tool, and you'll see a map. You can find environmental justice communities in your state, in your county, and, and be a part of helping local um, organizations as well. It is not hard to get on the USDA's Food Access Atlas and look at a map of where there are food deserts in your area, in your county, in your state, and be part of the solution. Um, and so I encourage all of our listeners to be curious and compassionate enough to do those things. Take those actions and find out um you know, I mean, we'll have another conversation about why these communities exist, um, but knowing that they do exist and where they are in proximity to you is a great first step in being part of making a change in your own way. Um, Corey, I want to thank you so much for being on Go Green Radio. I want to just thank you and bless you for the work that you're doing with Make a Change Group. And I urge all of our listeners to get out on Corey's website, makingachangegroup.org. Consider donating, consider um, supporting his efforts. Uh, you know, we're going to be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. And until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.